Formula One philosophy is brought to you by Life Alert. Help! I've fallen and I can't get up! Is this you? Hi. I'm famous character actor Kevin Spacey here today to talk to you about Life Alert. Life Alert is a notification button that can help your elderly loved ones contact you in, in times of need. Oh, so Grandma will always have an eye kept on her no matter how disabled she becomes? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right, Billy. Uh, listen, would you be able to take your shoes and socks off right now? I, I really need to see your feet. Mr. Spacey, I don't really want to talk about that. I want to talk about the benefits of Life Alert. No, no, please, 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 Billy. I need to see your feet. It's the only way I can... Oh, oh boy. Oh, thank God. Oh, you're lucky, Billy. I came anyways, and if you had seen me mad, you, I think you know what would have happened. Just next time, if you want to be in a commercial with me, Kevin Spacey, just send me a picture of your feet, please. Oh, oh, man. Whew, I haven't came like that since the two quarries. Life Alert. Protecting your loved ones since 1972. We have another episode today of Formula One Therapy. I'm back. It's me, Nicholas McKiley, on my own today. I have a lot of thoughts to hash out today, so I figured I'd start before tomorrow, because today is Thursday, February 29th, leap year February. It means this only happens once every four years. So this is a very special podcast. You will see me again four years from now, and we'll look back on this podcast and wonder, did I change? Did I get better as a human being? Am I a nicer person? Do I know more about Formula One? Have I improved my life substantially? And the answer to all those questions is a resounding no. But anyways, that's what we have therapy for. We have therapy to improve as people, therapy to get better. And today's therapy session is about something that it got me riled up. So I figured I'd just talk about it instead of taking Sean and I off topic tomorrow. Tomorrow you will have our fourth episode together when we get ready for the the new 2024 season, which starts in less than 12 hours is going to be qualifying. It's, it's already started actually today. We had some interesting uh, things happen in practice that Sean and I will hash out. But today I want to talk about the drive to survive. And I got, like I said, I wanted, I really wanted to talk about this with Sean because there's a lot of media crap in there. But for the most part, I think it's better if I rant about this on my own and we can still talk about it together. But I don't, I don't think Sean and I are necessarily aligned with what drive to survive is. I think we both think it's a little ridiculous at times. But I don't know, Sean maybe gets more information out of it than I do. Whereas I just despise it in many ways, as you're going about to find out today. Because it really does a disservice, I think, to, to real Formula One fans. I think anybody, everybody can agree with that. It's They're trying to get a new market. They're trying to get the U.S. market. I think some of the, the Americans watch it that don't really care about Formula One. And the ones who do, maybe they got into it and then... S- quickly realized it was fucking rubbish but it did dramatize some things from time to time but i've noticed especially the last two seasons it's been getting worse and ridiculous and just it's favoring certain people like i'm going to talk about today we already had a had our sponsor introduced today so yeah 
But uh, you will find out tomorrow we have uh, some new exciting things coming up for this podcast at Formula One Philosophy with me and Sean. Sean Medeiros and Nicholas McKayley are now very popular podcast. Seeing worldwide. So yeah, like I said, t- tomorrow's the start of the season. And I had a lot of notes. So a lot of this podcast is going to be me reading my notes and I'll just go over them quickly and then I'll rant on the ones I need to rant about. But this is my take from the 10 episodes that I subjected myself to and I tried to get it over with as quickly as possible. I I started it Sunday day and then, oh, I just ran through it because it was just like, I got to get this done fast. So much of it pissed me off. But... The first note I took, I think, from the first episode is they did put the strolls in as best of a light as they could. And even though they tried to make Lauren Stroll look like this emotional, you know, just out there to protect my son, do anything for my son, they even, I think, had him close to tears, which looked very staged to me. There was one good talking point from that in the sense that they really showed in depth how handicapped Lance was. And so the note I took from this is is that the setback and the injury really undervalued him all through the 2023 season. And the reason I said that in my notes is momentum's everything in Formula One. So if you're starting off on the back foot in your season and you're struggling with an injury, even if you get better in your injury, and it seems like it definitely the injury set him back a little bit. So hopefully over the last... Uh, two months or so he's been recuperating better and going to be starting better for 2024 but I I think 2023 we didn't see the best in him and so Drive to Survive did one good positive thing it's it's made me a little pro pro stroll for 2024 and I I don't know what Sean thinks but I imagine we both think he's going to do based on our, our long talk last week I think we he's going to do a lot better this season and as I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on, and I already did, but I think Alonzo gets worse in 2024. I think he gets less points, Stroll gets more. I think Austin is in the realm of of fifth or sixth again. I, I, I predicted sixth because I originally thought Alpine would probably pick up some slack, pick up some uh, ability this year it doesn't look like it in testing it looks like everybody's saying they might even be towards the back which I don't I don't know about that but yeah so I think Austin A Austin gets slightly worse even though Stroll gets better and I think Alonso's gonna be angling for his way out by the end of the year like he always does and I think Alpine a lot of people forget Esteban Ocon had six DNFs Six different DNFs. A lot of it, and a lot of it was mechanical. It wasn't him crashing. He, I think he crashed in a couple sprint races. But a lot of it was just Alpine ineptitude. Now, that may happen again. But say he gets three more races in the points instead of those DNFs, which is more than, more than possible, especially the way they were going the second half of the season. Suddenly, that team doesn't, isn't as far back from fifth. And yeah, I don't think Austin's going to have the lightning start they had last year. I think the what we saw in the second half is more of what they're going to be. At least from Alonso's perspective. So I think Stroll gets a little bit better. 
they're in the 200-point range again. And I think Alpine will get close to that too. So whether or not I'm really confident that Alpine passes Aston, I'm not. But I think they can be in the discussion. And if they do, bonus for me. If not, I'm not too bullish. I think the Austin 5th, Alpine 6th is a safe bet to happen again. I think we might see some shuffling 2nd to 4th. And then towards the back, I predicted Haas would usurp Alfa Romeo. Because A, both those drivers have a lot more to prove this year. Hopefully, one extra year in the car will help Nico Hulkenberg. I that is that's the longest shot of all. Maybe Magnussen gets slightly better too. I also once again these are very big long shots. Realistically, Haas finishing last and what we saw in testing and even today in practice, it's looking like that prediction of mine of them usurping Alfa Romeo is wrong. But the reason I originally thought Alfa might jump Haas is because or sorry Haas might jump Alfa is because Alfa is just too. Two of the laziest and, I think, unaspiring drivers you can ever find in Bottas and, and Joe. Joe has no talent, shouldn't be in F1. And Bottas just decided that because Raikkonen did it, I'll do it too, and I'll just lazily retire into the sunset. And Raikkonen, like I said to Sean already on this podcast, Raikkonen did that at 38, not 30. So Raikkonen had every reason to start sailing into the sunset at a bad team. Bottas has had a lot to prove, theoretically, at least. And he sort of jumped out of the gate in 2022 and then has done nothing but get worse since. And I think we're going to see more of that between him and Joe just has nothing. Joe, Joe has been trying these last two seasons and he got six points both times. For a young, hungry driver, you would expect something. You'd expect one good result. But to just get six points both years and to, to sit there and try and blame the car, I don't know. I like it. Bottas got almost 50 points in 2022 while the car was getting worse. Joe, in his rookie year, in a decent car, it started off really well, just had nothing. And yeah, he was a rookie, but like, I think that car was a lot better than what Joe showed. For all the flack that was given Mick Schumacher, Joe really, to me, was the worst performing driver of 2022. But. He got a pass because he was a rookie. Whatever. Anyways. The next note I had was Hamilton is still very much a baby. And, oh. I can, I can go on for about this for hours. And it's just he sits there and he goes, you know, I need the car. The car's not there. You know, I, I feel that. The title could be mine. Like, I need to reclaim my eighth title. Your your team in that first half of the season was fourth fastest. You were never reclaiming that title. So what are you even talking about? And, And you know that. And now we're two years on at that point when you said that. You're not reclaiming your eighth title. It's not happening. Have some humility in this season and stop blaming everybody around you. Drive to Survive did really good at cutting out all of his babiness. But even still, there were some things that stood out. To the point where I even I wrote that he was a total baby. It's like, I can't feel the car. The car's not going. Like, why didn't they listen to me? Like, it was stressed again and drive to survive. Maybe you're part of the problem, Lewis. Did you ever stop and think about that? Like, maybe you are part of the problem? No, obviously not. And I, I just, I don't know. 
they did like once again they said they did everything they could to spin it in a way that he was not the issue at Mercedes and I, I don't know man he's just he just keeps acting like a spoiled brat every time I see him on that on that show and it's and it's irritable it's irritating like where is he going like what what is what does he really want to do at this team it, it's clear to me that he was angling in drive to survive as to why he was about to leave Mercedes. And that's not what great drivers do. Like great drivers try to make it work. Great drivers try to fix things. Like I said, Verstappen, Schumacher, Vettel. Like Vettel, even just most recently, just came into a really bad Ferrari team. Was defending four-time champ, not defending at the time, but like was a recent four-time in a row world champion. Coming into a very inept team. And instead of sitting there and whining all the time, which I know, I know everybody, he did that too. At at times, it was more directed at other drivers and not Ferrari. But he he sat there and tried to make it work. And they eventually got better. It it doesn't seem like Lewis has any propensity to do that. And it might have something to do with his age, but I don't know. Uh, Sean and I will talk about this more a little bit because we're going to refine and fine-tune some of our predictions tomorrow. But I, I just don't see you. Like Hamilton, had, to me, has the worst attitude, and he's about to go into a team in 2025 which needs you to be on it at all times. You cannot sit there and have bad laps and whine to the team at Ferrari because Ferrari won't know how to fix it, and Ferrari doesn't have the structure to deal with someone like him. Ferrari is very much relying on... like It's, it's why Schumacher, Tot, and Braun work so well together with the engineers... It's because the engineers didn't know exactly what to do, but they had three big leaders to help them. And they were all feeding off of each other until they've got the right mix. Hamilton's not that type of driver. He doesn't have the engineers clearly, unless he steals them all from Red Bull and Mercedes. He's going to need to bring in his team to do everything. I don't know if it works. I just, his attitude is just not there. And this is a big point. I'm going to go off about this for a little bit now. The next point of what I saw in Drive to Survive. Did it make sense for Red Bull to compare Daniel's times in testing at the Red Bull with the Red Bull at Silverstone to Nick DeVries' AlphaTauri times? That to me, like that was a whole episode on DeVries and his position there and and Ricardo slowly coming back in. I understand as Ricardo is in many ways Drive to Survive. It's what along with him and Steiner, who I'm, I'm going to talk about ooh, very, very soon again. Um, he's definitely the focal point of that show. So Drive to Survive, I think they took a lot out on DeVries this year. He, he was the whipping boy this year, whereas Mazepin was 2021, Mick Schumacher was 2022. They took everything out on DeVries this year in the hopes that it would get Daniel back, and it worked. It definitely worked, so... I don't know. Like, I just, I don't think it was fair for Red Bull to do what they did. And they just, they really only showed all the bad parts of DeVries and even DeVries' best race in Monaco where he finished 12th. And I've talked about this a million times. Your 12th to 8th means nothing to me. But like, if he was improving at that point, spin it in a good light for him and help him grow. Because they didn't. It seems like, it seems like A, Drive to Survive spun it in a bad way. But also it seems like Alpha Tori. Uh, believed the bullshit too 
he was getting better. And I don't think it was fair to look at Daniel's times and have Christian Horner goes, oh, he's just he would be right behind Verstappen. Okay, what's the time? What's the specific time? Perez was right behind Verstappen for the most part. So was he better than Perez? Okay, also, if you put Nick DeVries in that Red Bull, what would have happened? The AlphaTauri was clearly way behind at that point in time. Tsunoda was barely getting points at that point in time. He had, in my opinion, only one point because the Australia fuckery was complete nonsense. And thankfully, Drive to Survive didn't worship it too much. They also, that was the only chance they had to give, make, put Nico Hulkenberg in a good light, and they didn't. And I'll get to that in a bit. But, like, Tsunoda wasn't exactly doing great at that point. Realistically, he only had one point to DeVries' zero. And DeVries, it was the first time in that car where that was Tsunoda's third year. So where was the encouragement for DeVries? Where was the chance for DeVries? I think he should have had a full season. To compare Daniel's Red Bull times to DeVries' AlphaTauri results is ridiculous. Didn't It didn't make any, any sense to me, but it seemed unanimous at that point that, oh, let's just get Daniel back in there. He'll, he'll guide us in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah I'd, yeah, I'd rather see him too. It's just, why did you fight so hard for DeVries then? And 10 races isn't enough to judge somebody. And Sean refuses to go over the numbers with his with his algorithm, but I'll, I'll say this. DeVries, DeVries his, his results at times were better than Piastri's. Like, he beat DeVries, Piastri in a few races. It's not saying much because neither of them got points, and the McLaren was also really bad at that beginning too. But comparative to for two rookies, it wasn't way off. Piastri wasn't exactly blowing everybody out of the water in a bad car. I like Piastri. But Piastri was given time to develop. He was encouraged. And then as the car got better, maybe it had something to do with Piastri. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it was just the McLaren engineers. But Piastri only got better once the car got better. Yeah, anybody can operate a good car. And that goes back to the other point. Like, had you have tested DeVries in that Red Bull and and he was, okay, a second behind where Ricardo was. Yeah, maybe it would, would have been time to replace him. But I don't know if he, if he would have been. Because Ricardo came into that car and was finishing around the area where DeVries was. Ricardo had a really bad spa. People forget that. Now, like I said, I'm not trying to shit on Ricardo. I want Ricardo there. I want him in Formula 1. It's better with him there. And I think he's going to have a great season this year. But it just, it was weird to me that that was the justification to, to knock off DeVries. That Ricardo had a good test in a Red Bull. Maybe if you gave DeVries a few more races and the AlphaTauri was improving and he didn't improve, yeah, then you, then you offload him. Towards the end of the season, get Ricardo comfortable towards the end. But I don't know, I just, I don't think it was, it made any sense to me. And why everybody seemed to be unanimous with DeVries a year on from Drive to Survive, Will Buxton, my favorite commentator, by far, saying DeVries is the real deal. He's the real deal. Yeah, okay. Great. Anyway, once again, another young driver just kind of pushed aside for nothing. For no real results. They didn't, like, Ricardo got one seventh towards the end, but like, that might have been DeVries' season two. 
And at the end of the season, had you've analyzed and said, okay, you've only got points in one race. It was good. It was a good result. But we needed you to be a leader and you didn't act like a leader. We need you to act like you had experience because you're older, a 28-year-old rookie, and you didn't have it. Then, yeah, I was not a fan of DeVries coming into the, into the seat to begin with. But once everybody soured on him really quickly, I was like, okay, now we're just being ridiculous. Whatever they, whatever they needed from DeVries, he obviously wasn't going to give him ever. And not to brag, but uh, only one Formula One commentator is talking about how the point system is kind of screwing everybody up because, you know, if DeVries finished ninth and got no points in that, uh, in that Williams at Monza in 2022... Would, would he have ever gotten that seat? No, probably not. And then this is why I also caution Lawson, who I like. I, I, Sean thinks I hate him, but I don't. I just I, I proceed with caution with Lawson. Because he seems good, but let's not let's not make something of a ninth place. And for the most part, he was pretty average after that. And he's like, well, I beat Yuki. In Japan, like this is Lawson and Drive to Survive. He's like, I beat Yuki in Japan, but I don't get the seat. Doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, yeah, it is all kind of ridiculous. But it was established that Yuki was going to miss the leader at this point in time. They want him another season. They see more potential in him. You you can't brag about a ninth place, considering Yuki at some point in time in a good AlphaTauri did get a fourth. So there's potential there. We want to see if he has it before we give up on him. Also, and more importantly, that wasn't mentioned in Drive to Survive, is that Yuki got his seat because Honda wanted a Japanese driver there. Yeah, so I feel bad for Lawson. I do. He probably deserves a seat over Yuki. But yeah, I could go on about this for hours, so I won't. Now here's another big one. Here's another big note I took. And I said this here. I'll just read what I said. Norris is not the guy to build the car. Piastri is a long-term project. What's going on there? And then I, I quoted Norris saying, in the right car. In the right car. Because he would say that all the time. I, I just, it shows, I was talking about this with Sean last week, and we'll elaborate more because, you know, we got we got into the weeds a lot, and we blame Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey, you're getting sued for what you did to Sean last episode. We got into the weeds about uh, Adrian Newey painting uh, painting his office uh, light blue and, uh, and all the things Sean was talking about, about McLaren with the Japanese, and I love Sean, but we, we missed an opportunity to talk about the McLarens, which we'll finally get to to the bottom of on Friday. I don't know what McLaren's really doing with Norris and Piastri because it doesn't seem like a long-term good combination. Norris, is clear; it's clear that he cannot perform without a good car. The car also keeps going backwards year over year, which speaks to his development and lack of, lack thereof. The car also seems to be something that if it's not perfect, Norris is not up there. He's a standard British driver, to put it mildly. And I, I just don't know. Like so, so what is Zach Brown? Is Zach Brown basing his entire decisions off of their friendship? 
and potentially ruining long-term greatness because he wants to see Lando win in that car. But it's pretty obvious Lando's not unless it's perfect. Because he kept saying, in the right car, I'm going to compete. In the right car, we can beat Max Verstappen. Max never had that attitude. I've said this a million times before. Max made his car. Max made his car what he wanted it. Yes, he had Adrian Newey. But the greats often bring out better engineering. Newey couldn't always design a great car if he didn't have a good driver with it. Like the, the Vettel and Ricardo years, or one year, and then Ricardo and Kvyat years, he didn't have a great muse. And I like, like I said, once again, I like Ricardo, but Ricardo was just never going to be that guy. But the second Max Verstappen came is when you really saw real results in that Red Bull. And Sean will attest that the Red Bull wasn't actually that bad, and Max, as he was growing, was getting better as the Red Bull got better. But I, st- I still think that has more to do with Verstappen and his attitude and his ability to grow with a team. Norris clearly doesn't have that. So what's McLaren going to do if, when they finally realize that, if they haven't already? And like I said in that episode, McLaren's greatest strength is, could be their biggest weakness. They have two solid, consistent drivers. If they want to climb up the constructors, yeah, that's exactly who you want. But when you get to a certain point to win, you're going to have to probably offload one of them if one of them hasn't already figured out their place yet. Why fight over Piastri as much as they did if you didn't see a champion there? And if you did see a champion there, what does that mean for Norris? Because Norris clearly can't do more than this unless the car is perfect. Whereas Piastri, that was just his first season and we saw great results in a great car. Will he get better and be able to operate worse machinery better? I don't know. From a McLaren standpoint, you never want to design that car too well. Well, you do. Sorry, but I'm trying to make a point in the sense that if you really want Piastri to grow, you want the car to be just, just a little little worse than it could potentially be in the hopes that he learns something. Because then when he gets to, say, year three, four, he can jump into a championship-winning car and bring out the best of it in the same way Verstappen could. And this is the problem with Norris's mentality. He keeps saying, in the right car, in the right car. I don't know. Because Verstappen has a good car, but then he also makes it Max Verstappen's car and is that much better. Perez is in that car. Perez was similar to you, Norris, when he was younger. Perez was overachieving in good cars. He can't get his hand around this one. You jumping to that Red Bull won't necessarily make you a champion. More than likely not. I think he recognizes that too, which is why he didn't take the offer Red Bull gave him, allegedly, and sign longer term with McLaren. So if McLaren's saying Norris is our guy by giving him that extension, where does that leave Piastri exactly? And you fucked with the entire paddock to get Piastri, or at least just Alpine, and burn some bridges there, to get a guy who, who's not going to be your champion long term? I don't believe that. I think Brown knows who the real number one driver of the future is. He just hasn't told Lando yet. And that all comes down to Lando's attitude. He, he has to stop saying in the right car, in the right car. 
the right car is never really there. You have to make that car the right car. You have to make it your car. I don't think he has that ability. I think he's just one of those drivers that just needs everything perfect to line up. And that's Charles Leclerc, that's Sainz, that's Russell, it's Lewis Hamilton too. Yes, Hamilton became a seven-time world champion. Six of them at the car that was light years ahead of everybody. If you want that to be your career, if you think that's going to be your career, you have to go fishing for the right team. Your reputation's there. I don't, honestly, I don't know if he deserves to have the reputation he has. Sean and I will talk about this more, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think he's as good as everybody thinks he is. Like Hakkinen came out and said, this is a, he's on the same level with Verstappen. I, I completely disagree. Once again, I completely disagree with something Mika Hakkinen has to say. I told Michael to slow down. Remember that in the Schumacher documentary? I told them to slow down. And Why? You told someone you're racing against to slow down because he's being dangerous? Shut the fuck up. He made you, well, actually, technically Eddie Irvine did. But the Ferrari made you cry at Monza. You spun out and cried in the bushes. Yeah. That sounds like a loser. Michael Schumacher was a winner. Michael Schumacher would have made you cry more if he could have. That's the winner. That's what this philosophy, this podcast, F1 philosophy is all about. Making Mika Hakkinen cry in the bushes at Monza. We're going to do it again, everybody. That's goal number three now. I, I, you know, I've had two goals. One was get Steiner fired, check. Get Mick Schumacher on the grid. Tough, tough goal to achieve, but we're going to do it. Three, make Mika Hakkinen cry in the bushes and get at Monza. Even if he's just watching, he's just a bystander, sees a horrific crash, he starts crying in the back like he was just, he's just in that area, his seat's there. I think we can make Mika Hakkinen cry in Monza again. Just in Monza. Maybe San Marino too, which is another place he spun out and got frustrated. Somewhere in Italy, Mika Hakkinen will be crying by the time this podcast is done. Okay, moving on. I have another quick point here. As we saw in the Ferrari episode of Drive to Survive, there's a religion of Charles Leclerc. They make him the the Donna Maria, whatever it's called, the Madre Maria on that card with Charles Leclerc's face instead of uh, the Virgin Mary. And I just want everybody to know that I think that is the second worst religion in all of human history. Don't worship Charles Leclerc. He's completely useless. He's not a deity. He's a very average driver. He's Jean Alesi from Monaco instead of the heart of France. And the worst religion in the world is, of course, Islam. Anyways... I have a serious question to ask here now. Did Drive to Survive set up paparazzi for Steiner? And those video and those people they videotaped when at his book signing, they sounded very fake, bland. Hey, you're such a great character. I, I laugh all the time, Gunther. Yeah, you know I like to say fuck on camera all the time, and yeah. You know what it is. I got rid of Nick Schumacher. And uh, more importantly, I bought in Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnussen, two Viking-looking creatures, because I want to see someone plow my wife. Okay, guys, don't sue me. Don't sue me. Please don't sue me. I just, it's a joke. But if you told me 
that he likes to watch his wife get plowed. I, I'm not going to be surprised. I'm not going to like go, oh my God, I'm going to go, yeah, okay, and then talk about something else. Anyways, they're trying to make it look like Steiner was very popular, A, which no. No, I think that was that was overblown. I think it was completely overblown of his his real popularity. I think they like the people in Drive to Survive loved him. They thought he was a character. And once again, I've talked about it before. Media loves mediocrity. It breeds it because they're all mediocre people. They'd be something other than journalists if they could amount to anything. Hi, I'm a journalist, everybody. But, but, I just don't think he is what everybody says he was. And they tried so hard, so hard to make it look like he was quitting. I'm, I'm fucking done with this. I'm fucking done with this, Gene. How fucking hell. How about, and here's a thought, every week you have a big meeting and get your engineers together and try and solve the problem. And if by week four, nothing changes, instead of going fucking hell and I'm fucking done with this and getting drive to survive to make you look better than you are, how about you fired some people and held them accountable? How about you shake, shook things up? How about you fired a driver mid-season? Instead of re-signing them when they had, what, five points between them? Sorry, sorry. Nico Alkenberg had nine, three in a sprint race, and six that he got out of nowhere, which should have been two or one. Even still, you re-signed them as you were getting worse. You couldn't get your engineers to do anything right. You consistently got worse as a team to the point where you were lucky if you finished 14th. How about you get your shit together before maneuvering like how you want to exit out of Haas? You didn't want to exit out of Haas. Why didn't you resign the second the season ended? No, you waited till January to see, is my, is my contract going to be renewed? I'd love to stay. And then the second you got canned where you belonged, you maneuver drive to survive to get the interview saying like, oh, I'm fucking done with this. Like, ah, yeah, no, what will I do? What will I do after... After Formula One, yeah, nothing. Yeah, commentary commentary does make the most sense for you. Because most commentators, like me, don't really know what they're doing in the Formula One paddock and just start saying things that are often very dark and humorless. But if that's who you are, don't maneuver it as if like, oh... I want I want it out. No, you got fired. You wanted to stay as long as possible. You would have stayed there for 20 years if you could, finishing 20th place every race. While you sat there and kept Andretti out as long as you could have and never amounted to anything. You would have re-signed Nico Hulkenberg at the ripe age of 52 if you could have. Kevin Magnuson would be there. Kevin Magnuson would probably eventually, if he's not offloaded this year, he's going to die in a fiery crash. And then you're going to have his head in a friggin' jar like in Futurama and he's going to be behind the wheel and he's just a, a head with machine arms. You would have had that. And then you would have said, well, you know, Mick Schumacher is just, you know, he's not going to put us in the right direction. But Kevin, Kevin's head in a jar, that, that's a good, good way forward. Kevin deserves this. Yeah, shut up. What a fucking moron that guy is. Jesus Christ. I can't believe you got in Drive to Survive to maneuver you looking like you quit. I have to harp on that. I have to rebring this up. Like, what the fuck? And drive to survive. Shame on you. Shame on you, you fucking... 
terrible journalists for making it look like Steiner was better than he is. He's fucking awful. Anyways, I've I've ranted on him a million times, so I just need to let that out. It just he just guy keeps failing upward somehow. I don't get it. Here's another note to drive to survive. Leads that the best part of Singapore win the Carlando thing. Yeah, well, they maneuvered the whole season. They didn't really show any of the real results. They just made it look like certain results were happening that weren't really happening. I know because I've watched every race. I'm sure everybody's pretty pissed about that, not just me. Here's another note I wrote. Buxton talks about Lawson like DeVries. Yeah, I already said that. Way to go, Will. Great job as always. Um, okay. Here's the here's the big one I wanted to talk about today. This is why I had the rant because I knew I knew uh Sean wouldn't like to hear me ranting about this for probably half an hour without him getting a word in. Danica Patrick. Holy shit. What a mess. She never says anything of value. She never says anything interesting. She never says anything a former race car driver would say. Which is weird to me because like she's supposed to be a woman's perspective because Formula One wants more women. That's why we're stuck with Bernie Collins and that other dumb loser at the BBC. I forget her name. Michelle something. Who cares? Uh, the the other day she had an interview where she's like, I just think Alex Albon deserves, deserves, no, he deserves the Mercedes seat? Deserves is the right seat? Is what you want to say? I, uh, nobody deserves the Mercedes seat. They earn. There's no fucking, she's, she's British, so she thinks everything is royalty handed down from lords and, and, uh, and ladies. You know, she thinks everything is admirables and Commodores. Yes, Commodore. Yes, I was sailing the seven seas. Sailing the seven seas, of course. I ended up in Indochina. Commodore Nicholas, yes. Ugh, these people sometimes. I could go off about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna save that character for another day. Commodore. Yeah, he's he's very violent. Anyways, she sounds exactly like how you would think an American who had no idea what Formula One would commentate like. She sounds exactly like that. Like she sounds like a the if you if a British person was to say, "What do you think an American sounds like when talking about Formula One?" They would pick Danica Patrick, someone with no real hot takes. Very benign comments, very milk toast takes, just very mundane, average comments that just don't really mean anything. They're just she's sort of like Vegas, baby. Woo! I can't. I'm excited for the race. Like, shut up. Talk about the track. Talk about the track layout. You as a driver, what do you see when you see the track? How about that? Vegas, baby. Like if a British person was to was to say, well, this is what do you think of uh, an average American sounds like when talking about Formula One? They'd be like, yeah, someone who just doesn't really say anything out of the ordinary, someone who just makes benign comments, someone who makes comments that just are just like, yeah, I already knew that. Like 
You're talking as if you're trying to fit in amongst the group. But you should really try and like come up with hot takes. It's what's what British people like about Americans. Br- Americans don't have this structured societal uh, kings, queens, the, the, the parliament, the parliament, yes, and 10 Downing Street. They have none of that shit. Americans kind of do, but it's, it's less insufferable. They have hot takes on things usually. That's what makes the American great. But like you, Danica, as a racer, could have a lot better takes than a lot of these losers like Will Buxton or uh, who's the other idiot, uh, all of them. But but you don't. You just say these very mundane comments like about Liam Lawson. Oh, if I was him, I'd be shedding my pants. Cool. Maybe talk about what you know about his junior career. Maybe talk about how you think he'll react to this situation. Maybe, like, you're a racer, right? So you've probably done some research. Maybe you've seen, like, like how Sean does. Sean outlines his junior career, talks about where he thinks Lawson will be. How about you do something like that? No, they, no, they just, they needed a woman. They needed that token woman who doesn't make anything. She doesn't rock the boat. She doesn't make any... Spicy comments, which she needs to. She just sort of sits there and just says everything that, like, you see Jensen Button looks at her and goes, like, like I see, I see it in the broadcast at Sky. Like, J- Jensen Button hears her talks and goes, oh, my God, I'm the smart one. Jensen Button, like, the, the dumbest, worst champion ever, sits there and gets to seem like he's the smartest person alive because Danica Patrick is speaking, going, yeah, I think the cars go around the track very fast. Jesus Christ. Yes, thank you, Danica. Thank you for that very uh, uh, intelligent remark about how Formula One, the fastest cars, go go fast around the track. (laughs) Thank you, Jensen. I'm telling you, the things she would have said, like, thank God she's only in Formula One commentary. Like, what would she have said, like, on 9-11? Wow, the planes hitting the towers can cause a lot of long-term damage in in this, in the buildings. Duh. Yeah, a plane just hit the building, Danica, and you have to say, it could cause a long-term structural damage. Like, duh, it's on fire. I, w- I would be scared if I was sitting in that plane. Like, Jesus. Thank God she wasn't there at that time. What else would she have said? Like, friggin' thank God she wasn't around in December, November 22nd, 1963 in Dallas. And she would have been like, oh, well, wow, the, the president probably shouldn't have driven, with a, driven in a convertible down that street. Yeah, like, I believe the magic bullet theory. Yeah, like, oh my God, Danica. Shut up. <sighs> Joe Biden sounds very, like, uh, crazy when he speaks. He doesn't sound like he has all his brain there. Yeah, we know. We know. We don't need you to tell us that. How about you tell us something interesting? How about you, like, make up a theory about Joe Biden or something? Crazy conspiracy theory. I don't know. How about you talk about how he showers with his daughter? Like, fuck. Like, come up with something interesting, Danica. Fuck. Like, just don't say some things that you think everybody needs to say. Like, or don't say the things that everybody thinks you should say. 
get in their faces and tell and like tell them give them hot takes even if you're wrong you're put in this position that you don't necessarily deserve to be in because you're a woman because they want an american woman there they want the american market they want american women they want women in general fine whatever okay now that you're there and you don't deserve it because you, you were a terrible nascar driver you weren't anything special good for you for being one of the few women who could get to that high leagues yeah I'm not shitting on you for that. I'm not shitting on you for being a woman. I'm saying you were put in a position that you didn't deserve because of your gender. Now that you're there, get in their face. Tell them off. Make fun of them. You know, like, come up with some controversial topics. How about, you know, when when the Miami Grand Prix comes, you're going to be there probably. Say something that will just, like, make Jensen Button freeze and be like, oh, fuck, what do I say? Like, Make Martin Martin Brundle and David Croft be like, oh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go to commercial now. Like, like say something that just like makes British people uncomfortable. That's what like the common British person wants to see. They don't like Jensen Button either. Nobody likes Jensen Button. Who in their right mind could talk to Jensen Button and think I feel more intelligent for having that conversation? Throw that in his face one time. Be like, hey, aren't you the worst champion ever? Like, you barely hung on to your championship, didn't you, Jensen? You won six of the first seven races, but then once everybody else uh, caught up to you, you could barely come seventh. Oh, Danica, that's, you know, it's hard to be a champion. Shut up. You loser. I've seen more testosterone in my kids. I've changed my kids' diapers, and I know they have bigger dicks and bigger balls than you, Jensen. Like, say something like that that just gets in his fucking face and freezes him. Don't just say random shit that you think they want to hear. It's going to be a great day in Miami. I'm really excited for how this plays out. Oh, we know. And no, it's not. It's a terrible course, Danica. How about you talk about that? How about when they when they probably take shots at DeSantis, come out and be like, you know what, guys? I think he's right. I think there are only two genders. Get in their fucking face. They can't fire you. You're the token woman. If they fire you, you can claim racism or sexism or whatever the fuck it is or DEI bullshit. I don't know. You can jump to the woke crowd and be like, I was fired because I was a woman and that little dick loser Jensen Button didn't want to hear me talk. Like something where where we're shocked or like where someone like me is going to be like, whoa, what did she just say? Oh, you're in Florida, right? You're in Florida in my in the Miami Grand Prix. Be like, you know, Jensen, I'm starting to think about it. You know, the Confederacy were the good guys in the war. Believe like, whoa, whoa, what the fuck was that, Danica? Yeah, it's not the maybe the right thing to say, but it'll shock everybody. It'll give people a reason to think, whoa, she's not just some token loser. She has her own thoughts. Don't say what I'm saying. I'm making a joke of it. But say something that like drives them nuts. No, be provocative. You know? How about the next time Ted Kravitz says something like, oh no, I'm scared again. Like it's, uh, it's chaos out there. It's like Abu Dhabi 2021. How about you look him in the eye and be like, Ted, Ted, can I, before we move on, can I ask you the size, length, and shape of Lewis Hamilton's dick? Because you've been clearly, you've clearly been deep throating him for the last two years. So can you describe it to me? I'm very curious. Something where Ted Kravitz is like, oh, oh dear, oh, oh my. And it'll, and it'll make him realize, holy fuck, I've been talking about Abu Dhabi 2021 for almost three years now. 
I maybe need to get over it and stop sucking Lewis Hamilton's dick. Metaphorically speaking, potentially literally. Potentially literally. We don't know Ted Kravitz. I'll say that on fucking on microphone. On, I'll, I'll have this recorded for the record. That you need to get Lewis Hamilton's dick out of your mouth. I don't know what, I want, what it looks like. I don't want to know what it looks like. But for fuck's sake, stop sucking his dick. And you could be that person, Danica. You could be that provocative, controversial, exceptional person. You could start doing research on these, on these teams, on these cars. You have the platform. You're supposed to represent the North American mind. Sean and I are trying to be, be that. We're trying to be people like who've researched this, watched this for many years. We don't have always the craziest takes. Well, I do, as you've clearly heard throughout this, this episode. But we're trying to get to the bottom of things. We're trying to understand things. We're, we're creating our own thoughts. From what I saw in Drive to Survive, you didn't create one original fucking thought. Not one. Not one where I was like, oh, thank God she said that. Or like, oh, that's interesting. No, it was just like, holy shit, shut up. Get her off the screen. You know? How about you get in Muhammad bin Suleiman's face one time and be like, hey, if I come to Saudi Arabia, am I going to be beaten with a stick like no bigger than my thumb as, of, as per Sharia law? Make piss him off. Nobody likes Saudi Arabian people. Get in his face. We'll be like, whoa, sick. You can't believe she said that. We'll be shocked. We'll be like, wow, that's controversial. It's interesting that your own thought you got in that loser's face. The Saudis who siphoned American money for 50 years and bought this sport now feel maybe on edge. Maybe talk about how, how who the, like, a, a nation that, that uh, legalizes beating, the beating of women, the stoning of women who got raped is not something I want to be a part of. Danica, like, where's, why aren't you speaking out for that? No, you're probably going to, as I said, do the opposite and get in Governor DeSantis's face at the Miami Grand Prix. And he's a total beta loser cuck. I, I don't like him either. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to be someone who, like, stands with Lewis Hamilton and, like, we race as one, we're all the same, love is love, like Lewis Hamilton, who then drives for Saudi Aramco Mercedes, like, you fucking hypocrites. Danica, if you're supposed to bring in the women's perspective, get in that fucking Muhammad bin Suleiman's face or get in the other, the leader of fucking Saudi Arabia's face and and be like, I wonder why you guys have to beat women as per Sharia law. Like, just fucking be provocative. Be interesting. Do something. Don't just, don't just say all these like fucking talking points. These prearranged comments, like say something where everybody's shocked. You owe that to us. We put you in that position. You were put in that position because you're the token American woman. Pay us back by getting in British people's faces and pissing them off. Pissing off the Saudis even more. Nobody's going to be upset if you do. Nobody likes the Saudis. Maybe we even get five less, like three or four less of the Gulf Grand Prix that all suck. Because you'll piss them off. They'll be like, we cannot have this. My friend, my friend, we cannot have Danica Patrick. Uh, yeah, just, no. And, and maybe Formula 1 will get a back one and be like, you know what? We don't need your shitty oil money. 
which they do. Net Zero 2030, everybody. Sponsored by Saudi Aramco. Fucking stupid. Fucking stupid. All right. That, you see, this is why I had to do this episode on my own. Because like, if, if I said this in front of Sean, he'd just be pissed. But I'm right. I'm right about everything I said. And we're going to talk more about the actual racing in depth with Sean. But I had to go off on Danica Patrick on my own. Because holy shit, she's just like... She's just stereotypical. Like, she's just not giving anything, any interesting comments. Say something interesting, Danica. And Drive to Survive, I think, unless there's something, unless you can make it more interesting, enough's enough. Just, just stop. Because it's, I think it's now doing a disservice. You're getting all the races wrong. You're not showing what actually happened in the races. You're picking on specific uh, things to report on. You pick on one driver every year. Like, are you ever going to pick on Zhou Yu? No, probably not. Xi Jinping is probably paying off the Obamas who all pay you off and make sure that Chinese people aren't messed with. That's serious. How about that, Danica? I'd be like, you know what? I wonder how much the Chinese had had a hand in the, the COVID virus and the Wuhan lab. Like, just say something like, we're, we're, we're like nice. Get in their face, Danica. And drive to survive enough. Enough is enough. It was interesting. You got us to love Danny Ricardo in a different way. You unfortunately got Gunther Steiner in the position you did, but now enough is enough. We're so happy to talk. Did you see that at the end of his episode? We're so happy. It was always a pleasure to talk to you, Gunther. It was such a pleasure. Pleasure. The pleasure's all mine, Gunther. Yeah, you know, okay, how about you come and, and plow my wife tonight? I'll watch. I'll watch in the closet. I wanted to be very discreet. Yeah. I'm going to get sued. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to get sued by Gunther Steiner if this thing gets popular. I don't care. It's, it's done. What's done is done. But yeah, you, you served your purpose, Drive to Survive. You got a new market, but I think it's just starting to get bland and stale, so... Leave while while it's still somewhat popular. Because it doesn't seem like the seasons are going to get any interesting anytime soon. So you're going to have to grasp for straws like you did in season six. You're going to piss people off and people are going to start to shy away from Formula One. And once again, Danica Patrick, if you say something controversial, you may lose 2% of the people watching being like, oh, oh my, how rude. But then I would say like a good 20% of Americans will see that and go like, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. It'll be a hot take. It'll be like a, it'll be like watching a car crash, which is why people watch NASCAR, remember? That's why you crashed all the time in NASCAR, right? Wink. So yeah, Danica, just, it's up to you now. You're our only hope. Stop making North Americans look dumb in their analysis of Formula One and start getting in Jensen Button's face. Start making Jensen Button feel like he's a little dick loser. Start making Ted Kravitz feel like he's a closeted homosexual for all the dick sucking he did on Lewis Hamilton. Get in their faces. Anyways, that's my rant on, on that on Drive to Survive. 
on everything we saw there. I don't know where this goes. I don't know, but I think I think we've had enough of Drive to Survive. And yeah, I need to let that out because I, I feel like nobody's going to have the take I have, obviously, after all the shit I just said. But I think we need to start looking at it that way. We need to start trusting like all Formula One fans, people who listen to this show, people who understand Formula One, people who want to get to understand Formula One, who tune into me and Sean to get their information. Start trusting your own opinions and not getting your opinions and your beliefs from this crappy drive to survive or even Sky Sports for that matter. Form your own opinions. Learn from Danica Patrick and what she's not doing and form your own opinions because that's all me and Sean are doing. Based on what we see, we're forming our own thoughts. Sean and I come up with our own thoughts, our own beliefs. And we think it's worth talking about and we think we're happy you're listening. But you probably have some opinions in there too. Trust them. You may not be in front of a microphone anytime soon, but your thoughts on the sport aren't as stupid as you may think because the commentators I see, they are that stupid. So I bet yours is probably at right now, If even if you're insecure about it, probably still 10% smarter and better than what you're seeing on the BBC, Sky Sports, and their drive to survive. If you think Gunther Steiner is a loser, you are in the top 1% of people who understand this sport. Anyways, that's my rant for today. That's my therapy session. I feel a lot better. These things do work. Sean's going to have a fucking field day with this and therapist. I hope he doesn't get too mad. Don't really care. He'll laugh. He'll 100% laugh. He'll try and pretend like he's being serious, but he will laugh when he hears this. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed it today. Tomorrow we'll have qualifying, and Sean and I will talk about all about it. So yeah, keep listening. F1 underscore philosophy at Instagram. We have a lot of exciting things coming up soon. Have a good night, everybody.